afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Mark Sainsbury and Penny Ashton joining me this Friday afternoon. Now, yesterday we allocated the whole hour and a quarter of the show to the Prime Minister's decision to step down. Jacinda Ardern will not be seeking re-election, as we know. We had former Labour leader David Cunliffe on the panel reflecting on Jacinda Ardern's role. Terrorist attacks, uh, the worst pandemic we've had since 1918, significant economic downturn, volcanic eruptions, you name it, what else was going to happen? And she will have uh, a legacy as having been a strong and clear and empathetic hand at the tiller during those times. Her international legacy with New York Times journalist Natasha Frost. Even very early on in her time in office, Arden was a hugely kind of charismatic figure, having a baby in office, bringing her baby, bringing me to the UN floor, the fact that she's telegenic, she's photogenic. There was kind of a, a superficial kind of enthusiasm for her that grew to something more profound as she faced crisis after crisis, because I think the global left and centre-left saw in Jacinda what a lot of New Zealanders saw, which is to say a, a whole lot of heart. And former Labour leader, sorry, Labour MP rather, Ian Lees Galloway on the panel yesterday on navigating the way forward. There will be pressure on caucus to make sure they find a consensus candidate and don't go through the electoral college process. And then that person has to make their mark. And so it's really hard to tell at this stage, does this draw the line under the COVID period? Plus the level of abuse, a very key point, vitriol. That was discussed yesterday, uh, as it has been on uh, other shows, on the panel by Dr. Suze Wilson, who said that despite all she had uh, been through, the abuse on the back of COVID was something new. All of that, and particularly over the last couple of years, you know, has been overlaid by a, a, a level of you know, outright abuse and threats of violence that... It's just hard to think that, you know, she wouldn't be affected by that. I mean, surely anybody would. Now, one aspect that will surely dominate in time to come was how well did Jacinda Ardern lead the country through the pandemic and is leading with us to discuss this issue is Professor Chris Bullen, Director of Postgraduate Public Health Studies, the Faculty of Medical and Health Sciences at the University of Auckland. Professor Bullen, kia ora. Kia ora. And on that, what do you think her legacy for leadership with regards to the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, I'd rate her leadership... Um, as best in the world Uh, as far as political leadership. She was courageous. She made a huge call to shut the borders in um, March 2020. And then she went on to, um, I think, communicate um, to the public uh, remarkably well over a sustained period of time and bring the vast majority of New Zealanders on board such that we were all willing to go into lockdown for weeks and uh, sacrifice our autonomy for a long period of time. Um, absolutely remarkable. And the, and the um, outcomes speak for themselves, I believe. 
Okay, so performance rating, what, A-plus, best in the world, according to you. It's funny you mentioned this, Chris, because all of a sudden the the, the, the images come back in, in a sense that I've forgotten, that maybe we've forgotten those earlier days where there was that sense of team of five million. You had mm. that notion of communication, and it did appear that every single one of us was willing to get on board and uh, get this thing done. That's right, yeah, and it's a remarkable achievement. Um, it's the sort of thing that can only happen in a kind of major uh, crisis such as a war. Uh, I guess we're seeing some of that in, in Ukraine with the leadership there, something like that. Winston Churchill in Britain in the Second World War, it was that kind of epic, um, bold, courageous, decisive leadership that somehow managed to bring even... Um, People who might have been otherwise persuaded to to um, vote for, uh, you know, against her politically for other reasons, uh, on board with this uh, in this particular crisis. Well, 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 Chris, I have to say on that before I go to the panel, some might say, you know, comparing the likes of uh, Zelensky or even Winston Churchill, is there a sense of overegging it there? I mean, the Herald editorial says, you know, today no previous Prime Minister had received advice to close the country's borders, order most of the private sector to close their business, urge people to stay at home. It's only fair to say, is it not, that it did upend the nation? Absolutely. I think that's a very good description. And so I'm sure she was well aware of the consequences of that action and didn't take it lightly. But if she'd waited another day, I think it could have all been over for us and we would have looked like a lot of the other countries where the hospital corridors were lined with body bags and and so forth. And we managed to avoid all that because the action was taken very decisively at just the right time before everything went to custard. Yeah, like I've got a friend that just came back. um, I think he was visiting New Zealand for a bit. And he said the thing he noticed most was the lack of death of people that he knew in New Zealand. Because in the UK, his neighbour died, the person across the road died, a friend died. And, you know, and obviously of the three and a half thousand people that have died here is tragic, but it's just nowhere near. You know, we didn't have refrigerated trucks outside hospitals. We didn't have things like that. And I think that people have forgotten that her decisive very early action and that is is what saved us from a lot of that. All right, um, Chris, stay there. Let's bring Mark Sainsbury into it. Yeah, Chris, I'm just wondering, do you look at it in terms of two tranches? There was the initial decision, that brave decision, we're locking the country down, bang, they did it. But yet if you then fast forward to the Auckland lockdown where there was so much resentment and so much feeling that the government had overreacted. Yeah, I think you're right. There was um, that growing sense of disquiet about the use of lockdowns as a... As a um, an adequate tool by that stage and so things started to unravel a bit and then you know we had vaccine mandates and uh, so on and so forth and now we've kind of opened the borders and the um, it's a pretty much a hands-off approach in many ways a level of intensity of communication and direction for the public to take action um, surveillance of, of whether people are wearing masks on public transport that all seems to have gone by the board so things certainly aren't um, you're perfect. Uh, but at the start and for a long period of time, I think um, going back to Jacinda's performance, I thought she provided outstanding leadership. And I don't think it would, it would be very hard to match that. Um, well, it wasn't matched anywhere else in the world. I think her performance has been rated by international bodies and they thought it was uh, outstanding. And going back to the deaths, New Zealand had one of the lowest rates of excess mortality 
uh, of any country in the world. And, you know, people look at the economic outcomes and criticize the government for making these tough decisions, but it could have actually been a lot worse if they hadn't. And yeah. I think that's the counterfactual that's not often raised. So looking at the graphs, sorry, Penny, just jumping in here, looking at the graphs, we had far lower rates of death due to COVID than most other countries? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, and, and, and quite a strong economic position as well. And also, ultimately, we're locked down way less than parts in the, you know, the states in the UK were locked down effectively for almost an entire year. We had those really strict moments. I and mean, to me, it just sort of came down to a series of fatigue. People just got sick of it. And, and, and the, like, the amount of people that couldn't even be bothered scanning a QR code, couldn't be bothered wearing a mask for a short space of time in internal space. It was like, oh, it's too hard, that COVID fatigue thing. It seems that everyone can pull together for like one and a half to two years, but then it just, it just everyone just got sick of it and then they all blamed her. Well, Chris, as Mark touched on, you know, the sheer length of lockdown, the MIQ the situation, the MIQ situation, many, many, uh, well, um, you know, good experiences, many not good, businesses in hiatus, vaccine rollout, the equity of it as well. Will all this continue to be mulled over for some time? What further questions do you have uh, about um, our role in the pandemic leadership? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right to highlight some of the things that where it began to unravel, um, you know, when people were um, felt incredibly hard done by uh, where decisions seemed to be uneven handed, um, where the systems weren't particularly robust and people were wandering around outside of, you know, MIQ, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where the kind of the credit that had been built up started to um, disintegrate a little bit. Um, and there is actually a Royal uh, Commission of Inquiry headed by um, Professor Tony Blakely, um, at the University of Melbourne, and he will be investigating some of these very questions around the government response. Was it too heavy-handed with the lockdown and the Auckland lockdown and so forth? Was that a bridge too far? I think it'll be really interesting to see what comes out of that um, inquiry. Yeah, very approach to the thing, oh. a quick response, Mark, and then we better we better move on. Yeah, Mark. I'm just going to say the other thing that I found fascinating is that the, the very reasons that people of fair white went off. Jacinda Ardern, the same reasons they adored her to begin with, the concern, the caring, the empathy. Yeah. And yeah. at the start, everyone, great, this is fantastic. This, and yet they were the very things that people got sick of after they'd been locked down for a significant period of time. Um, mm. I think John Key had said the same thing. He said he would be out of politics for the very reason, the reasons that would drive him out were the same reasons that put him in there, you know, the popularity that, that things turn. And I think that's, that's um, what's happened. Professor Chris mm. Bullenkura, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, interesting, interesting, isn't it? That's uh, Chris Bullen there, who is the, the Director of Postgrad Public Health Studies at the University of Auckland. Uh, now, um, a water, air and land surges continuing for a missing teenager in the water at Opotere Beach, north of Whangamata. A survivor has been discharged from Thames Hospital, while another is in Wakato Hospital recovering in a stable condition, six people out of a group of seven were seen waving their arms for help Wednesday around 11.30am and pulled from the water, but one was unable to be retrieved. It's been one of the biggest rescue efforts this summer and police confirmed a man died in a water-related incident overnight in Coraglee and Coromandel yesterday. Water safety here in New Zealand and ever-present 
issue, and I just see now, just uh, front page headlines, a uh, man's body is found in the search for missing Glenorchy swimmer. But anyway, with us to discuss is Daniel Gerard, Water Safety NZ Chief Executive. Kia ora, Daniel. Kia ora, team. How are you? Good. First, just acknowledging this family and their wider whanau. I mean, this is, you know, just heartbreaking stuff, isn't it? Absolutely heartbreaking. And without the savvy, clever, experienced uh, work of that team of, of people on the beach that just happened to be there, uh, we could have been looking at a far greater tragedy. So we've got to commend the great work of those doctors, nurses, ex-lifeguards, ex-rescue helicopter people that just happened to be there and were able to assist until the, the lifeguards and the helicopters and, and others that, uh, attended. You don't miss words on this issue, Daniel. You, I mean, looking back at 2022, 93 drownings. Uh, you've called this a national disaster. Yeah, um, we're trending now into it almost being the norm that, that 90 plus families and, and you know friends are impacted directly by the loss of, of a loved one. And again, we haven't drilled into the data deeply yet, but just looking at it, it's 90% male and three quarters of them are over 40 years of age. Yeah, that blows so my mind, clear. 90%. So that's mm. that, you know, I, she'll be right, mate. I'm fine. Yep. I know what I've done. I've gone out on a boat before. I don't need a life jacket, etc. I know what a rip is, but yet they don't. Yeah. Daniel, do we have any... Yeah. Oh, uh, 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 sorry, Daniel, have... Daniel first, uh, answer that, sorry. and then Mark. Daniel. Yeah, I, I was just going to add that a number of these situations are the rescuer getting into trouble situations. Yeah, yeah that seems to happen a so, lot. Yeah, so... We, we've got to run the numbers against hospitalisations and start to see who's who's being rescued and who's losing their lives. And, you know, again, the, the knee-jerk reaction from me is, are families, are people who are turning up to these environments stopping and having a look at the conditions? Mm. So so in Opotiri, it was a, a whole family, um, top, top to bottom. Surely somebody must have had some knowledge to say Today isn't the day for us to just pop in for a dip. You know, we've been having easterly yeah. swells for ages. Those beaches are terrifying. Look okay, yeah. Mark. Daniel, how many of these people do we know could actually swim? Yeah, um, again, it, that's a challenging one. The the older generation, you know, our our age group, a lot of us learnt to swim in in the school pool. Absolutely. You know, sure. Yeah, yeah. They're now no longer viable. They're not the right option. They're old, dated pools that have fallen over and, and perished or schools have chosen not to. We've got to come up with a better solution, and that's using community hubs and community pools for, for multi-school use and community use so that we can get these kids back into the water but learning the very, very basic skills, the, the floating on your back, the, the being right. relaxed and comfortable. So oh, do yes. you, you think a nationwide push of some sort of paid-for mm. swimming lessons? I mean, that seems yeah, well, like a we, no-brainer. Yeah we, yeah, we have Water Skills for Life, which is that basic intro-level uh, programming that school teachers can deliver, and, and we get about a quarter of schools adopting that immediately. Okay. Um, it's that next step. 
right. that that yeah we need to bring some professionals in to give the specific skills around moving through the water yeah. more effectively and that's learned as well. Just on more this specific not this case as well but this uh, type of type of beach or, or potere, uh known as quite a as Penny alluded yeah. to quite a dangerous beach you've got that big drop off and apparently seconds you can be actually just in quite deep water with with rips is there a case to be made to uh, have a no-swim beach, say, this is a no-swim beach? Yeah, look, I don't want to be an organisation that advocates for, for stopping people doing right. things. You look at a, a surfer, they want to go out and be challenged in those conditions. Oh, now, they've yeah, right. developed skills, they've, they've got the ability. What I think we need to do is embrace a whole raft of activities, excuse the pun, that would um, look at signage, would look at roving patrols, would look at utilisation of even mobile phone data to say, okay. actually, the campground at Apultiri this week is chock-a-block. Maybe we should put a patrol up there this week. Look at what the swell is going to be doing. Yeah, and trying I, to be a little bit more I forecasting around, around the initiatives. Yeah, because I was staying near there a couple of years ago, and we and we because I always walk through. It's a beautiful ten minute walk through a pine okay. forest to get there, yes. and I was like, "There's no way I'm getting in that water. Is it's that terrifying." Right? And Onimana as well was like, "Oh my god, yeah. it's terrifying." Uh, very nice to have you on, Daniel. As always, kia ora. Kia ora, thank you. Um, that's Daniel Gerard, Water Safety NZ Chief Executive. So the uh, Rahui uh, was put in place at that beach yesterday, as I understand, uh, or Poteri Beach, and uh, that search is continuing for a missing 15-year-old. Mm. Uh, it's 25 past for the panel on RNZ National, changing tack completely. This is from a listener, actually. Pavlova and brunch lovers have been facing an ex 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 an existential crisis? My producer crisis? always trying to run, write a pun for me. I can't even, can't even get it right. An existential An crisis over right. the ongoing egg shortage. Panic buying has only exasperated the issue, leaving supermarket shelves empty. But an animal welfare group says that eggs are not all they're cracked up to be. Um, to explain, we have Peter spokesperson, Laura Wayman-Jones. Uh, Laura, kia ora. You there, Laura? Yes, can you hear me? Good. How are, yeah, very well. Now, okay. So I come from this from the angle of there is no baking that can be done that tastes good without eggs. Convince oh me of convince me <laughs> otherwise. Now, come on. I am I am quite an avid baker myself. So if um, you can use ripe bananas, apple sauce. If you're using it for binding, you can use chia seeds, flax seeds. That's all for baking. Now for the breakfast lovers. You, uh, tofu scramble makes an excellent substitute, um, or an upgrade, in fact, um, because <laughs> nice. <laughs> because not, not only are you consuming less saturated fat, no cholesterol, very loaded with protein, but also kind to chickens. Okay, yeah, I understand that aspect of it, but um, I, I, I tried making oatmeal cookies with little junior without eggs because it didn't have any eggs. Tasted dry, they were tasteless, they crumbled. Was I doing it wrong? Probably. Oh. I feel like you probably need to try a different recipe. Yeah. Or maybe, yeah, or practice, maybe. Okay. I mean, the, th the thing about a cookie is that it, it's actually not the eggs that's making it, um, that's giving it that gooey, delicious texture. It's probably, you probably want to put some Nuttalex in there, which is a great vegan substitute for butter. For butter. 
Oh, okay. Um, and, and in terms of the taste, I can get the same sense. I can, it, it can be, well, let's go on the panel on this. Uh, bacon without eggs. Yeah, I made um, brunch for a friend with pancakes that was a vegan pancake, and it was delicious. Yeah, so easy to do. That's great yep. to hear. Well done. Yep. And did, Thank you. Thank it you all, very much. Did it all stick together? And, Absolutely, yeah. Like, I think it was Wallace, coconut well, Mark, Mark, you're a cook. You, you, you want to do something for Junior? I made this yesterday, actually. And I, I mean, I must say, I do you know, eggs. My mother was a fabulous baker, and I was gone about that. But this thing was, Ramona found this. It's so simple. It is literally five, you know, like black bananas, one tin of condensed milk, and three cups of self-raising flour. Stir it all up. Put it in a bread tin, chuck it in the oven. Takes quite a long time to cook, I warn you. Um, comes out as this fantastic banana bread. Oh, without... you stop Ooh. it. Banana bread, <laughs> that that's my jam. Yeah, that's what delicious. we're talking about. Um, Simple, Laura, three ingredients. Laura, we'll leave you there because we have a listener who's going to give us a recipe. Oh, fabulous. <laughs> all right, have fun. Good, Laura. All right, now with us, uh, seems I'm wrong, by the way. Someone says, um, apparently... The secret, the secret deal to making taste uh, tasty and non-dry is chickpeas. Apparently, yeah. chickpeas is the thing. With us is Bernice. Welcome, Bernice. Hello, Bernice. Are you there? Yeah. Yeah. How are you? How are good, you? Good. Yeah. Good. So you 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 have known to bake without an egg. Yes. Well, this is something my mother told me. 70 plus years ago when I was first married and we were short of money as you are uh, couldn't buy eggs much couldn't buy much um, so it was her answer was one de- one dessert no one tablespoon of vinegar for each egg and um, that that works fine it's Unbelievable! Right? Yeah, unbelievable. Or alternatively, a tablespoon of stewed apple to replace Mm. each egg. Okay. Mm. Well, we don't often have stewed apple in the house, but um, (laughs) but but vinegar that blows me away, Bernice. Well, um, you may have to add a little um, extra milk to make the mixture pliable enough. But goodness gracious! I used it. Oh, I do remember using it quite a lot. There and vinegar is supposed to be really good for us. We're supposed to have a tablespoon of vinegar a day was. Well, I think we yeah, we're using vinegar for everything now, aren't we? Mm. Uh, we aren't we just. Mm-hmm. It's vinegar every day. Bernice, lovely to have you on. Thank you for that. Okay. Um All and right. yeah. Well, Thank you. It's, yeah. Bye bye. It's chickpea fluid. It's picture Chickpea juice is what you use. Chickpea juice. Chickpea juice. You whisk it for ages and you can make like a meringue out because, of it. Because if I want an oatmeal cookie, it's got to be moist. If I want banana on, bread, what? it's got to be moist. What? You know, it can't be oh. dry. Yeah. Well, bananas, you know? that's what, you know, bananas, yeah. applesauce, all of that sort of stuff. Wallace, what? you want moist, I guarantee my three-ingredient banana cake will do the trick. But it does take a lot of baking. But just what is chickpea juice? It's the you know it's yeah. the brine the brine that the, the oh the liquid oh just in. the liquid it's in oh, yeah okay. and you and you my friend did it um she's a vegan and, it, and I was like it was really really delicious but really? I think we should say moist more often on okay. the radio moist <laughs> okay you're on the <laughs> moist <laughs> moist am I did I did I do something wrong no you just said moist you need, quite to, a lot. Mo- okay. yeah. you need to moisten your lips Wallace there you I, go. I, I, have some well, moisture it's, it's, it's a word huh uh, it's a word now, well um, done. you're on the panel uh, with. Uh, 
Me, Wallace Chapman, Penny Ashton and Mark. Thank you, Penny. Mark (laughs) Sainsbury joining me. Very soon we have a Power Ballad, Power Ballad Friday 2023 edition. And we also talk, this is going to blow you away. A researcher from uh, the Sleep uh, Research Unit is saying, let your teenagers sleep in. And schools should start around 9.45 a.m.